Welcome to the XY Advisor podcast. To join a global community of financial advisors sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice, head to xyadvisor.com. Clayton here from XY Advisor chatting with Daniel from PIFA, the association that I recently became aware of and I'm super interested to find out. So uh, rather than just hitting you with a million questions and not recording it, I thought, why don't we do this on the podcast? Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, you're welcome. It's, uh, it's great to see what you guys are doing. I've been watching on the sidelines for a while and I've been impressed. I'm pleased, pleased that we finally have been able to, to talk. Yeah, um, mate. So... Uh, the word independent is used by a lot and then it's not allowed to get used by a lot. And it's this conflated thing that everyone's arguing about. And you just went, actually, we're going to exit stage left on this term. We're, we're, we're not going to get caught up in the, the maelstrom of it. Uh, rather, we're going to work towards profession. And um, great pivot. Love it. Um, in fact, you know, if, if, if it's the last thing I do, I want to see uh, advice as a profession. And this is the kind of thing, which is why we've been working towards getting uh, uh, upfront advice as a tax deduction. We think that's getting treated like a profession. And I've been working, I guess, in the, on the fringes of this topic for a while. But then you were the first person I've ever spoken to in financial services that said, oh, actually, this is the pathway that you have to go to become a profession. <laughs> and I was like, oh, thank God, we actually have someone who knows what he's talking about. <laughs> um, so uh, this is why I think it's very important to have this conversation. And that is, you know, the actual steps that it's going to take for financial advice to become a profession, to stop yeah. talking about it is an industry, but to actually join the ranks of medical, legal, accounting, engineering, we get to, we get to put our hat next to the rest of them on the profession, the professional, you know, walls of Congress, if you want to call it that. It's very exciting. And uh, I want to talk to you firstly about that. And then I want to get into the association itself. So starting with how the hell do we actually become a profession? <laughs> it's a great question. I had to ask that question myself um, because I was seeing more and more people are, you know, you walk into a room full of financial planners and say, raise your hand if you think you're professional. Of course, we all put our hands up because we know we do a good job and we, we take the client's interests first and all of those other things. But um, we're not one of the recognized professions. So simply by saying, yes, FASIA is going to professionalize us and anyone who honors FASIA, and, you know, you haven't got much of a chance not to because you get booted out if you, if you disobey it, is a professional well, not a recognized one. So the recognized professions of law and medicine and engineers and accountants and actuaries and all those guys and gals um, had to go through a particular pathway. There is a body. It's called the Professional Standards Authority. It's a government body that is responsible for uh, approving uh, monitoring and enforcing professional standards in the country. And they answer to, they are the instrument, if you like, of uh, a group of councils called the Professional Standards Councils. There's one for each state and territory around the country. Now, these councils get together once every two months to consider the, the schemes that have already been approved, the professions that are approved, and uh, look at any new applications. They're few and far between, yeah. uh, as you can imagine. Um, I'll talk about how, the, how high they set the bar and the difficulties that you've got to be able to, to, to grapple with. But the, the mechanism by which it happens is a body 
so some sort of entity of sufficient governance needs to step up and write down a coda, so some sort of a scheme, and then take that scheme to the professional standards councils who will make a decision about whether it complies with all of the requirements of the recognised professions. They provide a lot of guidance on their website, which is psc.gov.au. And um, once you've got a scheme that meets all the conditions, then you can get an approval from the PSC, the councils, uh, to operate that scheme. It's called an occupational scheme or professional standard scheme. And uh, it operates for a period of time. And then it, each year there's a bunch of things that the scheme has to do. People covered under the scheme uh, have certain obligations to adhere to the code as per the scheme that was written by the, the entity, in this case, Profession of Independent Financial Advisors. And they've also got benefits. For example, the, the most significant benefit for all of the professions is a cap on legal liability. So if you look at the business card of your accountant or your lawyer, then you'll see down the bottom it says liability limited under professional standards legislation. Yep. What that means is that if your lawyer is a member of a recognised profession, their conduct is above the minimum required by law and therefore they get this gift from the crown, so to speak, uh, where you can't t uh, exact the liability from your professional greater than this cap. That's, that's huge. It's mega. I mean, imagine the impact on that professional's PI insurance premium, oh. et cetera, et cetera. It's basically being underwritten by the government in a lot, in, in some, in one way or another. Yeah. That's why it's so hard to get this. Understood. I mean, we're not the first, uh, first group of, of people who have tried to do this. We all saw the CPAs uh, implode spectacularly a couple of years ago when the then CEO, Alex Malley, tried to get a professional standard scheme up and you would have thought that they would be the ones in the box seat to do it. They've got, you know, 150,000 odd members in CPA Australia wide and you would expect that they would have all the resources required to make this happen. So whereas the Goliath, and they, they, when they tried to push this foray into financial planning, because he was looking to get a license together, which was publicized at the time, you would expect that they, they would get that. But Goliath fell over and... Um, here it is a little tiny association with the right culture looks like it's going to get up. Whereas massive behemoths like that just had the wrong culture, the wrong governance, the wrong processes. And, and that sort of was the end of the dominoes for them. Actually, I've got a question on that. Why would the CPA try to get their own, you know, granting grant designation, let's call it when accounting is already seen as a profession, what, why would they try to get it for themselves? Great question. So CPAs, um, they're not licensed to be financial advisors, they are accountants. And so they had that, that, uh, that entity, CPA Australia, lodged an application and got it many, many years ago yeah. to run a professional standard scheme for the accounting profession. Yes. And so what Alex Malley was seeking to do and his group uh, was, well, you know, this doesn't exist in financial planning, let's make that happen. And so CPA will lodge one for financial planning as well. Wow. I didn't realize that's what happened. Yeah. Yeah. It's not the, um, it's not the first time that the accountants uh, nearly stole the thunder from financial planners. Uh, if you go back to 2012, uh, there's a group called the APESB, which is the Accounting Professional Standards Board, and uh, their members are the associations. So the Institute of Chartered Accountants, Tax Practitioners Board, the CPAs, they NCAA. set the standard. NCAA, they set the standards for all of their member firms, and the member firms have the individuals underneath who are the accountants, right? 
Yep. So the APESB actually came out with a, a complete um, redo of their standards, particularly in relation to uh, uh, remuneration, I should say, and the conflicts involved in remuneration. And they set some pretty, what was to us old hat, but to the, uh, you know, their membership, new hat and an unwelcome hat, quite frankly, <laughs> no more charging asset fees, no commissions. You have to be genuinely independent in the classic sense of the word. And anyone who's a member of our group has to work that way. Well, the member um, firms, Institute of Chartered Accountants, CPAs, they revolted. So uh, it was called PS230 was the new um, public policy statement issued by APESB <laughs> around independence and uh, remuneration. And it never, never saw the light of day. What a history. Oh my God. They, they had a wonderful opportunity to take the show away from financial planning and the accountants who constantly say, Oh, conflicts of interest, no good, no good. Scuttled it. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm, I'm sure there'll be some accountants on this podcast who'll yes. hear this and say, well, it's unwelcome, but uh, they had a great opportunity. That opportunity hasn't gone anywhere, but they had a, a clutch moment that uh, unfortunately they, they scuttled themselves. That is super interesting, man. Um, all right. So, okay. So it looks like over the last maybe 10 years, once or twice, the accountants have tried to come in and professionalize financial planning and haven't been able to do it. And in a lot of ways, I guess, you know, if you think about it from an accountant's point of view, they've looked over the edge you know, peered over the fence and looked at financial planning for a long time and been like, oh, wow, you know, if we could receive revenue like this, our lives would be made. And for some reason, and I can't explain why, they never picked up the mantle of just uh, owning financial advice. They were the obvious ones, but for whatever reason. And the more that I've gotten into it, the more that I realize it's a different personality skill set. Um, it's because you know, because uh, I came from accounting, I used to be right. an accountant, and then I and then came into financial planning, and then from where I'm sort of seated now, I would liken financial planning much more, well, well clo at least closer to on the spectrum to psychology and life planning than I would accounting. You think it's balance sheets, but what you end up talking about is purpose in life. And then it's just melding those two subjects together, right? And so accountants typically are like, what are you talking about, mate? You just get more money, pay less tax. Shut up. You know, it's, <laughs> it doesn't really work too well. So when did you or your team or your board, when did you, your, your, the group of you guys decide you know, put our hands up, we're going to go after this that no one else has been able to do. When we first started, which was 2009, 2010, I wanted to change financial planning. I had been in financial planning since 1991, 92, started as a life insurance agent selling life policies door to door. Yep. Tough way to do it at the age of 22. <laughs> um, when all your mates are going to get, you know, well-paid jobs and you're starving to death. Um, uh, so, you know, I had been in financial planning for quite some time and I had become disillusioned with the culture. A lot of great people involved, but uh, the heavy hitters, you know, the ones who are the marionette string makers, the, the way they were running things, I, I wasn't proud of what I was doing. I felt it was like a sales pitch rather than advice. I had got into this job because I wanted to give advice and be respected and, and help people. And I really enjoyed working with people, but the sales stuff was leaving me a bit cold. Um, so when we started, there was a, a particular uh, keynote address given by uh, the chairman of Woolworths at the time. His name is Roger Corbett at the, the FPA convention in 2007 in Darling Harbour. 
And uh, the talk he gave, I was transfixed. You know, it was a fabulous talk. And he said, look, I've been looking to retire for the last year or so. I've been interviewing people in this room. And there's 3,000 delegates right in this room. Lean forward. Listen, you could have heard a pin drop because he says, I've got some observations about your industry. And uh, if you attempt two significant shortfalls, I reckon you're on a winner. And here's a guy who's worth God knows how much. Um, perfect client, right? He's Excellent. high net worth. We could charge him. We could do afford to, to, to charge whatever we want and do all the great work for him. Yep. So everyone in the room sat forward and he said, number one, you've got to lift the bar. At the moment, you know, in my discussions with you guys, they've got people who are truly gifted, truly technically competent through to the people who've just given up driving a bus yesterday. Fair. So he said, you know, you're going to have to do something about that. And so the room sort of went, oh, rhubarb, rhubarb, rhubarb. Mm-hmm. And then he said, the second thing you've got is your conflicts of interest. He said, imagine if I, I've only got one shot at this, right? I'm, I'm, I'm nowhere near as wealthy as my mates, but I've got enough. And uh, I've got one shot. If I go to um, you, a financial planner, and get advice, and then I later find out that there was some sort of conflict of interest there, that leaves a bad taste in my mouth. Imagine if I went to my surgeon, uh, my, my doctor rather, who said, you need an angioplasty, go to this surgeon. I spend my 25 grand on the angioplasty and find out later that the, the GP got a five grand kickback. Mm. Anyway, so the room attacked him. Rhubarb, rhubarb, rhubarb. And uh, it was at that point that I realized that the, the industry association at that time was, had the wrong uh, membership, the wrong culture. It just wasn't representing what I felt was the interest of the public, like the public was just telling us, he's a guy. So I decided to resign from that, looked around for other industry associations that represented my particular flavor, what I wanted to do. There was nothing there. So um, a couple of mates that I was working with at the time said, well, we better start one ourselves. Brown will get, get something started. So um, it was started back then with the idea of changing the face of financial planning, but we didn't know what that meant. What we did know is that we needed to be genuinely independent. A couple of years later, we trademarked this concept called the gold standard of independence, which sort of clarifies all the complex laws around independence into three simple statements, no relationship with a product issuer, no commissions, and no asset fees. All you've got to do is work out how to do business productively and, and with the people you want to do without having to you know, break those three laws, yep. which can be done. You know? The fact that we're still here to talk about it means it can be done. You can sell life insurance for a fee. You can do all sorts of things. But it wasn't until about 2016, I think it was, that I suddenly realized uh, I had one of those epiphanies, you know, like a eureka moment. Um, and I, I suddenly realized, I think I've, I've worked out how we can actually change the face of financial planning. Because we've been such a tiny little group of, of outcasts for so long um, that it really wasn't changing anything. And so uh, it came about because I stumbled across an article. It was a white paper actually authored by uh, Professor Dean Sanders, who was at that time the CEO of the Professional Standards Councils called Professionalization of Financial Services. It's available on their website. You can download it. Someone from the Professional Standards Council, which has nothing to do with financial planning, created a white paper on the professionalization of financial services. That's right. And get where this guy came from. So Dean, wonderful bloke, um, partner at Deloitte's now very, very well known in the industry. He was actually in charge of professional standards for the FPA for quite some time. Right. And when he finished that gig, he took on the role as CEO of the professional standards councils. Interesting. And so it was natural for him, who's a, an academic type of guy, to go ahead and write 
this white paper. They did a lot of research, interviewed a lot of stakeholders right around the country. And they came up with this uh, white paper that spelled out what are the obstacles to professionalizing and what sort of chances the industry got to professionalize because they all talk about it, but it's like hurting a bunch of cats. There's a lot of rhetoric, there's a lot of politics, there's a lot of stakeholders with deep pockets who lobby government. What can one do? So at the symposium, we do an annual symposium each year here in Canberra for all of our members and for anyone who'd like to come along who's a financial planner. Uh, I, I presented a paper to the group and said, uh, independence is important and it's a cornerstone, but it's only tickets to the dance. I think the conversation has shifted. There's a lot of talk about independence. Everyone claims to be it. No one understands it. <laughs> the ASIC hasn't got the resources to chase down every Tom, Dick and Harry who's calling themselves independent, but, but doesn't actually meet the legal standard. Um, and so let's professionalize. The way we actually change the face of financial planning is to become a profession. Yeah. And we did that. Um, we, we, all the members voted on it. It was a unanimous decision. We had an AGM and everyone voted. We worked out what we needed to do. It was a long way because at that stage it was like 30 or 40 members, so bugger all. Um, we're not much bigger at the moment. So as of today, I think we're like 70. Yep. Um, we, have, we think we've, we, we've fixed the way that we can grow uh, with people who want to become independent but don't yet meet it. I'll talk about the associate category later. But um, that was when we decided how to do it. And so I went and met Dean Sanders and um, the rest of the crew at the PSC. Uh, they explained to me how the process works, um, professional standard schemes, the, the entities that have to run them, what they need to look like. They sort of scratched their heads a bit about, look, you're only tiny. How are you going to do this? You've got no resources. How are you going to do this? And I met, uh, did some research. There was another small profession of forensic engineers. It's a scheme that was granted back in 1996 by the PSC to a bunch of crotchety old guys <laughs> who were well, your classic engineers, lovely blokes, salt of the earth. You know, you trust them with your life, but you wouldn't invite them to a dinner party. <laughs> and so uh, these guys had 20 members. And I said, how did you do it? Because everyone's telling me that it's not possible. And yet you've done it. And so we had lots of conversations um, and uh, they gave me some insights that proved to be quite useful. And uh, we just soldiered on. We eventually put the application in, in middle of 2019. That in itself was a two year exercise. It's like 300 pages. And then um, there's a round of requisitions. They call them requisitions where the PSC says, uh, please clarify, por favor, all these issues. Yeah. Yeah. We went through a round of theirs, a hundred questions. Great. Then they came back another hundred questions. Great. I mean, the PSC now has well over a thousand pages worth of material. They know more about me and the association and us than, you know, we do. <laughs> um, once you've gone through that process, the councils get to meet and they, they take a decision about whether or not to admit this is a scheme. When you said the, the councils, which, which yes. councils? So there's the professional standard councils, plural. It's one in eight state and territory around oh, the country. Oh, sorry. Okay, They all cool. come together. So uh, they all come together to discuss the, the thousand pages. Yeah. Well, the, the PSA, so the professional standards authority, which you'll remember is the agent uh, for this, you know, the head of the octopus down here, you've got the, the authority. That's the one that digests all of the information and prepares, if you like, briefs or recommendations or material for the councils to consider. And then they make the decisions accordingly. Okay. I've got so many questions. <laughs> so the first question is why on earth 
if Dean Sanders was at the FPA and then wrote the paper for how the financial services can become a profession and worked at the Professional Standards Council, why is the FPA not right now the professional standard? Well, that's an excellent question. That's an insightful question because I asked the same one and I didn't like the answers that I was hearing. Um, from what I can see, the FPA would have, and I haven't spoken to the FPA directly about this. I've had okay. conversations with Don Datigori about the idea of professionalizing. Uh, <clears throat> pardon me, was prepared to merge our association with the FPA, a much bigger organization, more resources, Absolutely. likely to be more successful. Uh, I think they may have been preoccupied at that time and totally. probably what they were preoccupied with. I mean, they're very active in the policy space. So they've got a lot on. Yep. Um, but in hindsight, I can only guess that they had more of an interest on becoming the code monitoring body, which is like a policeman. Oh, that didn't work out well. Goodness Not gracious. Not Ooh, much. That's so I'd, I would love to hear the FPA, you know, comment on this yes. i don't know that they will or not but the bottom line was that I, I get the sense that they wanted to to set up this code monitoring body as opposed to a profession okay. and when you think about their membership once upon a time a good 80 percent plus of the membership of the fpa was was uh you know advisors who were authorized under the largest licensees were all practice yep. members or professional members of the fpa yep. so it's going to be tough to convince amp advisors to become genuinely independent, which is a requirement to become a profession. It's a hallmark of professionalism. Understood. Understood. Right. Okay. Well, that, that perfectly answers that question. Um, so where, so, okay. So you legend, right? Never, <laughs> never in a million years could I do this first and foremost. Like if, if, if the professional standards council said, Clayton, all we need from you is one page, just one page I'd still be like, oh, do I have to? Like, I'm so bad with paperwork, which, you know, to, to no one's surprise, am I no longer a financial planner? Um, so <laughs> considering how much they have to do. Um, so you get your, your, your submission six, seven, eight months ago, maybe nine. Uh, May last year. So nearly oh, wow. 12. Okay. The big question. Mm -hmm. When do you find out? Yeah. I'm afraid it's a question I'm wondering too. So we know that the council meets every couple of months. Right. What we don't know, they don't publicize the agenda. Not that I'm aware of anyway. Sure. Um, and so we do know that they met and we were on the agenda at the end, end of February meeting. That was the 28th of February. Do you have moles in taking like footage <laughs> footage or something? <laughs> no, they're pretty sophisticated guys. <laughs> I think they picked me up at the door. Um, so we do know that they considered our application then because the response was it was either going to be no or more information por favor or uh, yes, we will now go through to public notification, which is uh, public notification is everybody effectively, all the stakeholders in the industry get written to, it gets publicized. We're considering this. What say you folks? And everyone gets to either say yes, good idea and applaud or throw stones at us. So we know it wasn't that, it didn't happen. We got a bunch more questions. So uh, it was a pretty tight deadline if we wanted to be um, getting everything back to them in time for the next meeting, which is actually happening today. Today, the 17th of April, if anyone checks the PSC website, the meeting dates is publicized. We still don't know whether we're on that agenda today. Ooh. Pretty tight, uh, tight ship they are. So 
the short answer is I don't know when. Uh, I am extremely confident that the groundswell of sentiment from both Treasury, ASIC, FASIA, and the PSC is positive. Oh! Uh, I, I, I can only tell you that anecdotally. I've got so, no evidence of it. People will only, you know, whisper in, <laughs> in dulcet tones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we know that the, the regulators and, and the various stakeholders take Choice Magazine, for, for example, huge fan, have been fans for years. Uh, anything that's in favour of the consumer is obviously going to be reasonably well received in this environment. Yeah, except the latest comment the other day wasn't sensational. Which one was that? Choice? Uh, yes, in Choice Magazine. Um, it was completely unnecessary. It just said uh, in, regards, it was in regards to accessing your $10,000, don't get charged more than, you know, like there's a limit of $300 the fee. Oh, and by the way, don't trust financial planners. Yeah, that's really helpful. I was, I was just like, it, it just looked like, you know, like a 14 year old broke into their, you know, their parents' <laughs> office and just snuck like a little snarky paragraph in. I was like, really? Totally unnecessary. But anyway, that, that's off topic. Um, sorry, keep going. Uh, where was I? Um, so in- we, we do know that it's going to happen. Um, yeah. we're, we're very confident of that. We don't know when. We've, uh, when you submit these applications, you need to state the date that it will commence. And so we have stated a date. Originally, when we first submitted in May, we, we uh, made the date uh, end of the calendar year last year, 31st of December. In the most recent round of acquisitions, we updated that and said 1st of July in the current year. Um, I'm reasonably confident that the scheme will be operational by that date. Okay. You don't understand. Like, I am so unbelievably excited. So there's a chance that yourself along with your cohort of a small but growing number of financial advisors will be the first professional financial planners in Australia's history. Yes. Oh, mate, that is such a big thing. I'm driving to Canberra and I want in on those drinks. That is sensational. Right. So like, I love it that there's actually, I love it when you sort of search long and hard enough, the, 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 Ob- obfuscated i never know how to say that word the opaque becomes clear right the there is a binary you know and and you talk theoretically and philosophically about some stuff long enough that someone comes along and goes oh no this is actually the thing and on this date there's the thing and then it's one or the other and i'm unbelievably so excited that there is a good chance anecdotally a good chance that um we could by the end of this year, maybe even sooner, we can see the first Australian professional financial advisors. Now, first of all, I take my hat off to you and I thank you. And that is sensational. What an effort. Um, That's just unbelievable. Now, let's get to the crux. Let's assume that uh, this phenomenal thing occurs and financial advice is recognized as a profession. Yes, let's. I want you to explain to me, first of all, before we get into financial services, is there an engineer, any engineer out there that's an engineer that's not a professional engineer? The ones I spoke about earlier on um, are, uh, there's like, I haven't checked on the, the scheme to see if it's still operational or not, but there were like 20 because they were a particular subset of engineers. Understood. Understood. Um, well, in that case, I'll shift my question. Is there an accountant out there that's not a professional accountant? Well, this is the funny thing. You see, the term accountant doesn't have any effect at law. Huh. So there is, 
um, there are qualified tax agents yep. and there are members of professional associations who have their own professional um, scheme. Yes. So what you've effectively got is the polarizing of an industry into those who want to remain in the industry and just, I don't want to be a professional and have all those extra responsibilities. I just want to progress tax returns. Understood. And then you've got these guys and gals over here who've said, no, we are going to be professionals. We're going to look after the client's interests first. We're going to do all these things. And what you get is a huge polarization of industry over here and profession over here. Gotcha. Makes perfect sense. Now, is the limitation of liability only for the professional and not for the industry? That's correct. Oh, interesting. Okay, cool. So then- and, Let me also say, I know you're working on your next question here, but yep. um, this is not the first time this has happened. So the decision to become a profession, at the moment we've got, what, 20, 25,000 odd financial planners in the country. Yep. Um, there is no recognized profession, so everyone's yep. where they are, just doing the best they can. Yes. And if this thing happens, then there will be a choice now. Yes. You're either in yep. or you're out. Yep. And so that happened back in the Middle Ages. There was a, a group called the Barber's Guild. <laughs> now, you can look this up. Um, two years ago, no, three years ago, Simon Longstaff, the, uh, the leader of the Ethics Centre in, in Sydney, gave this wonderful talk. And he talked about, to us about the College of Surgeons was actually born out of the Barber's Guild. Ah, that's so funny. So uh, there was a small group of people, much smaller group, who said, I mean, at that time, everyone who did the, the, the hair cutting, they had all the sharp knives. They also did sort of low-level um, medical work, you know, <laughs> cut this off. Just uh, short around the ears and uh, the appendix removal. Yeah, Thanks, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That exact thing, which is why the barber's shop had that red and white pole. You know, the oh, red and white pole? Yes. Now, what used to be there was actually a bowl of blood out oh the front. God. It sounds disgusting, but it's yeah. true. Huh. So that, that signified the guy in the robe was, and they were all guys at that point, had the bowl of blood out the front. That became this red and white pole. The red signifies blood. Yes. And... Uh, at some point, the College of Surgeons decided, I think it was about 1700 or so, 1800, said, we want to go and take this to a higher level. We're going to perform, we're not going to, we're going to give up the hair gig and we're going to do <laughs> the appendix gig. <laughs> That's so funny. And yeah. so they broke away. It took them a long time to establish the College of Surgeons and get uh, approval and, and recognition as a profession. Right. But now when you look at the barber, the humble street shop barber versus the surgeon. The surgeon has agreed to step up to a level where they're taking the client's interest ahead of their own. They do so on commercial terms, of course, yes. but look at the revere that they're held in, the status they assume, where they live, the cars they drive. They're not doing it tough yep. for, for what they take on. Yep. Whereas the barber, who also does a wonderful job, just says, I'll give anybody a haircut, just you know, give me the 35 bucks and I'll do it. So yeah, that's, right. that's the difference. So you, it is one or the other. Okay, cool. So, so when we say um, uh, the PIFA um, will become a body of professional advisors, mm -hmm. it's just who is a member of the PIFA. That's correct. Now, is there, is there a chance that that can extend to other bodies or will that just then become a monopoly by the PIFA? Um, it will be, it, it won't become a monopoly. It will certainly be a monopoly initially. Of course. However, 
Remember that the goal wasn't to obtain a monopoly. The goal was to change financial planning forever. Totally. So we invite any group that wants yeah. to go through the hell that we've been through <laughs> the last five years to do the same or just join us. Yeah, totally. No, no, I fully, I just wanted to ask the question first. All right. So now the all important question, how does one become a member of the BIFA? <laughs> okay. So uh, last year, the members got together at an AGM and agreed that the entry point to create a new entry point for the profession. And the entry point is called associate membership. Associate membership um, means in previously you could only become a member if you upheld the gold standard of independence, yep. which, you know, many, many folks don't for whatever their reasons. Yep. Um, but the associate simply has to want and intend to become genuinely independent cool. and sign a stat deck to that effect. So it's no, it's no just yes, signing an application form. There's some teeth to this. If you're falsifying a stat deck, it's pretty nasty. Yes. Um, so there's an application process on the website where you go in, you complete the application. It doesn't take particularly long, pay the application fee, sign the stat deck and you become an associate. Great. Now, associate membership lasts 18 months cool. and it expires. You can't renew it. You can't pause it. It's use it or lose it. Wow. The, in the intention is that you go uh, into the associate membership and you work your way through. There's an online self-paced uh, e-course training program uh, for members so that they can work through the materials to become genuinely independent, deal with the various obstacles to independence that I just spoke about, for example, that were in that PSC white paper, mm -hmm. look at their own practice and make the transition from wherever they start. Maybe they're almost independent, you know, or maybe they're a way away from being independent. We take them from that point, they work their way through the materials to the end point. The last step in that process is to become an independent financial advisor category of membership. So you retire your associate membership, you acquire independent financial advisor category of membership, and that is the category of membership that's covered under the professional standard scheme. So at that point, you become a recognized professional and you get something like this, which is the gold medallion. This is a podcast, so our viewers can't see this. Yeah. Every member who's an associate gets one of these, but it's an associate badge. Once you become covered by the scheme, which is proposed at the moment, then, uh, then you've done it. You've, you've done your time. And how long the course takes depends on, you know, where you're starting from, but it can be done. You know, if you, if you're reasonably close, you can be done inside of 90 days. I would have thought. I love that you're solved this problem. You're almost solved, but let, let's get this thing over the line. But assuming we get it over the line, I love that you've solved the conversation and it's no longer a, 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 an opinion. It's, it's okay. This is the exact binary. You're either on that side or on that side. And um, I, okay. So let's talk about limitation of liability. Uh -huh. What is the limitation? What's the dollar figure that a professional financial advisor is liable for? Well, that's a great question too. So, um, the answer is we don't know yet because the PSC will make that determination when they come back with their response and say, let's say they come back, they say, we did actually consider your application today. Uh, we didn't give it the, the nod to go to public notification because we need some research done around the cap. Are you confident that this is enough? So there's different types of claim that give rise to it. If you look at all of the PI claims, and that's not as easy to get your hands on that information as you think, yeah. um, 
and AFCA's database and ASIC's database and APRA's database and all of those guys and gals, um, fees charged, uh, claims against advisors who just charged a fee mm -hmm. are quite few and far between and not particularly high. Most PI insurers you would expect would go, geez, that's a great risk pool there. I'd be very happy to insure those characters and charge bugger all. Mm. And then you've got the ones who are um, high claims, like Storm Financial, for example. Oh, God. Um, they were doing double gearing with margin oh, loans. And criminal. The, Absolute the, criminal. The claim could be huge. Yeah. Advisors who sold product like West Point, you know, again, could be quite huge. Then you've got uh, claims that were quite large, but just involved insurance. So a payout for $1.5 million of life cover or trauma cover didn't take place. What did the advisor do wrong was the question asked by the lawyer of the failed claimant. Oh. Of course, the ambulance chase is going to be running behind saying, great, yeah. let's tackle this. Yeah. And the ambulance chases, let me give you the tip, are revving their, their engines right now because standard three of fascia says you must excuse yourself from delivering advice where you perceive a conflict. Fascia hasn't yet said asset fees are a, a conflict. They've just alluded to it on page 17 of their guidance paper. But they're saying we're an ethics body. We're not a you know, banning body. So that's up for you guys to consider. And the lawyers, the ambulance chasers are slavering at the mouth because they can't wait for someone to lose money from an insurance claim or anything else and then find out that the advisor was actually charging fees as a percentage of assets under management, thinking that that was a perfectly legitimate thing to do. And this FASIA code will actually be tested in the law courts then. Man. All right. So currently we don't know what the limitation of liability is. I can't wait to find out. Let's definitely have another podcast as soon as you, first of all, achieve success and become a profession. And uh, we can cover that sort of information at that point. But I guess the, the, regardless of what the actual figure is, I'm guessing a reduction in cost for PI insurance will be huge. That's my guess too. Uh, we are actually talking to an insurer at the moment about getting a policy specifically for our membership. Um, at the moment, a lot of AFSLs are telling us that, you know, we think that uh, PI premiums are going up, as you'd expect on the back of the Hain Royal Commission, Absolutely. and insurers are pulling out of the market. Absolutely. So ASIC is genuinely concerned about there being no PI insurers in the market to actually cover the AFSL conditions you're required to have PI cover. We're hoping to make that problem go away and actually make it cheap. Oh man, that's sensational. What's, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, like that's just so good. I love the good news because licensee fees are obviously, you know, going up. Actually, I guess in the, in the independent or let's call it the professional land that, you know, the licensees wouldn't be able to, actually, I don't even know. Uh, let, let me ask you this question. Can you belong to, or actually, I think the answer, the question's already been answered because a licensee can no longer receive kickbacks anyway, can they? That's right. Okay. So technically, would you, so technically, unless the, unless the dealer group was a IOOF or an AMP or something where it's aligned, technically any other, well, technically Synchron Oh, actually, I think Synchron's got their own products now. Do they? Do they? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, okay. Maybe, I'm not quite sure. I can't remember. Um, let, so let's talk about a, a large independent, uh, independent, we'll call it private, a large private uh, licensee that isn't receiving any kickbacks. Technically, 
there's no perceivable reason why an individual advisor would not be able to become a professional if they belong to one of these large privates. It's possible. That's right. Um, module five of the e-course that I spoke about deals with licensing options for um, the student. And um, in, in a situation that, that there's a particular law in the independence law, a section in there, um, if you want to look it up in Corporations Act, it's section 923A. And the law that pertains, we call it the bad apple spoils a bunch um, limb. And what it means is uh, it says you can't receive commissions, you can't receive volume bonuses, you can't receive uh, remuneration that's a percentage based it's on a management or calculated as a percentage of volume place of, of, of product placed um, to call and, and call yourself independent. Furthermore, uh, you can't call yourself independent if your license or any other representative under that license does. Oh, it's a bad so, apple. So even if you yourself are genuinely independent in every which way, but your AFSL permits Joe Friendly to take, you know, $10 of commission. Dude, it, that's, that's brutal. That's brutal. That's so harsh. And, and the reason why. All that hard work and then some bloke <laughs> you've never met or some, some other advisor who lives on the other side of the country that you have nothing to do with is stopping you from becoming a professional. That's so brutal. It is. And the reason why is because the one who's responsible for the advice of the individual is the AFSL. And so if you like, the, the advisor in that respect could be said to be an agent of the AFSL. I'm sure the lawyers on, on the channel will yeah, yeah, yeah. for that yeah, one. But, yeah, yeah. but the bottom line is that if the AFSL is responsible and the AFSL permits it, then you're permitted to, even if you choose not to. And uh, so even if you're in an environment that permits it, it's uh, okay. All right. It's, it's, it's like the, uh, it's like, you know, <laughs> it's the equivalent of uh, you're not allowed to associate with gang members. <laughs> <laughs> that's a bit brutal, but yeah, that's fair enough. There's always the, uh, you know, even if you're uh, seen with someone wearing a patch in their vest. <laughs> All right. No, fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. Um, well, with the smoke, there's fire, I think is the attitude they've taken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. No, fair. Look, uh, brutal, but okay. I mean, I'm just happy. I'm happy we're here. But there are options. I mean, this isn't necessary. Like you say, I'm happy that we're here too. But there are options. People don't need to turn their world upside down. They can progressively move through these issues and start individually removing the obstacles. And that may be one of them. But they have options. They can explore. Mm -hmm. But they don't need to do it in a hurry, provided they start early enough. They leave this and bury their heads in the sand like a lot of people are doing. Um, you know, you're going to be forced to make a change or be forced to become extinct. That's my view. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, um, uh, it's kind of interesting. I think, um, I think this is such perfect timing for, for what you're doing. You know, I think the whole industry has been trying to force, you know, a, a round peg in a square hole and you're saying, oh, no, 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 we're definitely square. We can go directly into that hole. And, uh, and it's good. It's really good to see. It's, it's, um, it's where advice is headed. And look, I, I come at it from a point of view where, um, you know, with XY, we, we specifically don't take a position. So, so and, and mainly because we don't have to, you know, right. and, and we're, we're interested in being a conduit for as many advisors as possible yes. to get better. Like yep. that's, that's our goal. Um, and what's kind of cool is that, you and the PIFA um, are now sort of the, uh, the the pointy end of that, and and 
And we're, you know, for us, we're saying you don't have to go that whole way, but it's awesome if everyone drives the positive evolution of financial advice together. And, and, you know, realistically, what that means is at some point, all advisors are going to look what a, like a PIFA member will be. Will it happen overnight? Probably not. And, and as long as we're sort of taking incremental steps to get there, that's our role in the ecosystem um, is just to, because as you would know, there's so many advisors out there that don't know or, you know, just don't know that there's a better way and aren't exposed to it. So that's the point of this podcast is just to say, you know, you're, you're an advisor living in some, you know, remote place and you're surrounded by people that don't think any differently. And, uh, well, this actual podcast right now is a really great example of where advice has come from, where it's headed and where it's almost arrived and uh, i think well, i tell you mate the, the the not quite understanding the issues is not limited to the remote sections you know york street and Collins street are full of folks who don't you know they're doing a good job they're just doing their day's work and looking after their clients and doing the right thing and they're just not aware of these issues it doesn't come across their radar yep this is real this is happening yep no and and that's why we've uh we've never taken a position on all, all this stuff but i will say that I think it's fantastic that what you've done is, um, is now, you know, you've done so much work and uh, it's so good. Literally from this point onwards, every conversation I ever have about professionalism now, I, I, I can have an opinion. I'll be like, actually, you were a member of the PIFA because that's a professional. It's fantastic, mate. So thank you so much for coming on. I know, I know you got to jump off and um, do, you know, you're a busy man. So uh what, let's let's make sure that we um you you let's assume you succeed and let's uh let's let's catch up again let's have another podcast and we'll talk about what it's like to be a professional financial planner that'd be excellent would love to I'll, I'll make sure that we um we do the online drinks thing excellent done and done all right daniel thank you so much for your time today mate all right well thanks for having us mate cheers ciao